This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Hey, C3, we are in the seventh week of this series we're calling Unique. It's a series that is all about you because every single one of us are created in a very unique way. God made you as an individual and he wired you to be you. And so we talk all the time in society and culture and especially in church about loving God and loving others, but we sometimes I think forget that Jesus said we're to love others as we love ourselves. And so we focus on the love of others, but we're not sure how to love ourselves. And I think that's because many of us don't know who we really are. And so in this series, we're discovering that. You're going to meet things about you. And we're using a tool. It's just a tool called the Enneagram. And it was designed by Christian monks hundreds of years ago. But actually, it's rooted in Scripture. And so each week, we're talking about a different number. There are nine different kinds of people. We're talking about a different number. And we're walking through a story in Scripture of someone that had that number. So this morning, we're going to be talking about the number seven. But before we dive into that, there's going to be a phone number on the screen throughout the message. And that's a number that if you have any questions during the message, you can text this number. Just shoot me a text. And sometime Sunday evening, I will jump on Instagram and I will answer the most common questions. And it can be about something I've talked about today. It can be a question about faith, about church, about life. If you've got something you're, you're wrestling with, feel free, shoot me a question, and I will address as many of those as I can this evening. This morning, though, we are talking about the sevens in the Enneagram. The seven is called the enthusiast. And if you're here this morning and you're a seven, uh, some people that were sevens that you'll know their names are people like Amelia Earhart or John F. Kennedy or Walt Disney. They were all sevens. So if you're a seven, you're in good company. But one of my favorite people in all of the Bible was also a seven. And we read about the story in 2 Samuel, Old Testament, chapter 6. We read these words, wearing a linen ephod. Now, if, if you grew up Baptist, you're about to twitch a little bit, but it's actually in the Bible, so hang on with me. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. David was a seven. And sevens love to have fun. The enthusiasts, they're enthusiastic about life. They're enthusiastic about whatever they're doing in life. They love diving in wholeheartedly into whatever they're doing and having a blast. And so in this moment, David is in a moment of worship. And so he's diving all in. David was dancing before the Lord with all his might while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. So it's actually an intense moment of worship with shouts. Now, you know how to shout. You shout for your favorite team. You, you know how to cheer for your kids. You know how to dive in emotionally. Well, as a seven, David was diving in enthusiastically in worship, but really that's not just for sevens. That's for all of us. Worship is to be something where we honor God. We're in awe of God. We recognize there's one God, and I'm not him. And in this moment, I want to do everything I can to really honor him and to focus on him. Then we read these words in verse 16. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul. Now, what's interesting about this to me, Michael is not only the daughter of Saul, she's also David's wife. But in this text in Scripture, she's just called daughter of Saul. Watched from a window, she's watching her husband. And when she saw King David, 
leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Now, ladies, if you're married, maybe you don't feel that strongly, but every now and then you see your husband doing something and you think, oh, you, you're a knucklehead. Man, you, what are you doing? And, and this is not just unique in this scenario. It's something that happens because often men are knuckleheads. But in this case, David was not being a knucklehead. He's diving into worship. But Michael was uncomfortable with the way David was worshiping. There, there's too much emotion. You're pouring yourself into it too much. Often the greatest critics of worship are the people who focus on people and not on worship. Often the people in a service that sort of sit back, and some people are raising their hands. I'm not sure I like that. Some people are, are getting into this a little bit too much. Some people are singing a little too loud. And when you do that, you're focusing on people rather than God, and you're missing the entire purpose of worship. So Michael was hung up on what David was doing rather than recognizing there is a God who is to be worshiped. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside of the tent that David had pitched for it. Now, the ark of the Lord in the Old Testament, in this culture, this is literally where the presence of God was. This is where the presence of God would reside. Today, in our culture, after Jesus came, died on the cross, rose again, sent the Spirit of God to live in us, the presence of God is found in the lives of people that are Christ followers. But Old Testament, the presence of God was present at the ark. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. And after he'd finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. Why raisins? Sometimes the only raisins I really like are those. Have you ever had those little boxes of yogurt-covered raisins? Like, that's okay. Otherwise, a, a raisin's kind of a shriveled up dead grape. Like, how do you even know when raisins expire? We don't even know. But for some reason, this is what he decided to do. A cake of dates, a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. So they finished worship. Everybody's going home. When David returned home to bless his household, he's blessed everybody else. Michael, again, the daughter of Saul, no mention that it's his wife, came out to meet him. Now, guys, you know you're in trouble if you pull in the driveway and your bride is standing in the driveway waiting to talk to you. You, you know it's going to be a rough conversation. Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord. In other words, I was worshiping the Lord. My focus was not on who was watching me. My, my focus was not on other people. I was worshiping God. I w it was before the Lord, who, by the way, chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. That had to sting a little bit. He, he's saying, hey, Michael, God chose me over your dad, Saul. He was the king, but I'm the king now. And he didn't choose anybody else in your family line. He chose me. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes, but by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. David is saying, it's my desire that my worship be so focused on who God is. And by the way, if I'm worshiping, why not have fun doing it? David had an approach of worship of, I want to honor God. I want to pour myself into that. I want to be passionate. But he's an enthusiast. Whatever he does, he's going to go all the way, and let's have a blast doing it. David understood something that a lot of churches don't understand today. 
the last place on earth that should ever be boring is the church in a worship service because we are worshiping a living God who gave his son for us, who loves us, who is passionate about us, who has a plan for every single one of our lives. David recognized that and said, man, this is something when we worship God, when we talk about God, when we study about who God is, it's something that should be an absolute blast. And sevens get that. If you're a seven, let's talk about who you are. You reflect God's joy. You reflect God's joy. You have a unique gift to experience and feel and express joy in circumstances often that many of us are not able to. Because you're, you're wired like this. You, you have a connection with joy, which goes beyond happiness. It's something deeper on the inside. If you're a seven, your motivation, it's all about pleasure and avoiding pain. That, that's what drives you. It's all about pleasure, enjoying life, enjoying your marriage if you're married, enjoying your friendships, enjoying your kids, enjoying each day, enjoying the weekend, enjoying vacation, enjoying your job. It's all about pleasure, and you want to avoid pain at all costs. Now, there's nobody signing up for the pain class. There's nobody signing up. I want the assignment where I get to feel pain. Nobody's doing that. But more than the other numbers in the Enneagram, as a seven, pain is your kryptonite. You, you want to do everything you can to numb it, distract from it, avoid it, leave it, not experience it. And even when it's there, you want to do whatever you can to pretend or live or act as though it's not. You want to distract yourself from pain. And often you do that with more pleasure. As a seven, when you're healthy, you're able to bring and or find joy in all situations. Sevens, you have a unique ability. If you're in a job that you don't really like, you will figure out a way when you're healthy to have fun in the job that you don't like. You will be the kind of person that other people may say, man, how do you enjoy this job? It's not that you enjoy the job, you just enjoy life. And so you're going to look for a way when you're healthy to take even the worst jobs, the dull jobs, the jobs that feel or seem meaningless, the jobs that most people don't want to go to. And if that's your job in this season, you're going to figure out a way when you're healthy to make it fun and to bring joy to that job. You actually, it's beautiful how God has designed you. You actually have an ability to help other people have fun in places that are not fun when you're functioning in a healthy way. It's a gift that you have that nobody else has. And so because of that, when it comes to your career, it's not just what you do, but who you work with. If you lead an organization, if you're a manager or an owner, you have the ability to employ and hire people. You want to make sure you have some sevens because in any job, in any career field, there are going to be challenges. There are going to be difficult days. There are going to be difficult seasons. And you want a seven or some sevens, a part of what's going on to help lighten those days, to help everybody have fun even in those seasons because sevens have a unique God-given ability to do that when they're functioning in a healthy way. Also, if you're a seven, when you're healthy, you're a visionary. You, you have fun, but it also brings some passion with it. And you see, for example, with David, how to worship in a way where you're pouring yourself all the way into it and having a blast. You're a visionary to the upside, light side, better side of how to do things. And you can bring that to an organization or to your job, to your family, to your friendships. When you're a seven, when you're healthy, you're versatile. 
you can take that same contagious attitude that you have about just enjoying life and reflecting God's joy, and you can be versatile. You're the kind of person that an employer can take and put in a different role. And you'll learn that role, but you're going to bring that joy with you. You're the kind of friend that no matter what the road trip is for, no matter what's going on in somebody's life when you're hanging out, you're versatile. You can morph into different scenarios and different situations and find a way when you're functioning in a healthy way to bring joy in that situation. You're also resilient. You can, when you are healthy as a seven, last longer in difficult scenarios than most people because you make it lighter. You have an uncanny ability to recognize all of life is not based on what I'm doing in this moment. In fact, what's more important than what I'm doing in this moment is enjoying this moment. It's figuring out a way to bring joy to this moment and not for yourself. As sevens, you're not selfish. It's not for yourself. It's to enjoy the moment. Yes, you want to do that, but when you're healthy, it's also to help other people enjoy the moment. How can I make this lighter? How can I make this better? How can I make this more enjoyable for other people? And, and you do it often without even thinking in those terms or those scenarios because it's, for you, it's just like breathing. It's automatic. You're visionary and versatile and resilient, helping to inspire people. You have an ability to inspire people. And you inspire people not just to be a better friend, not just to do a better job, not just to do better in whatever they're trying to pursue. You inspire people to enjoy life more. You give people hope that, there's an, that there's, there actually is a way with all of the ups and downs in life, with all of the, the good days and the difficult days, with all the days that there are clouds or the storms we walk through, you actually have the ability when you're functioning in a healthy way because you go through those same storms to inspire people to be able to find the joy because you reflect God's joy, to find the joy even in the most difficult days. And for a lot of people, you will be, when you're functioning in a healthy way, the oxygen in their lungs when they feel like they're drowning because you'll help them hold on to a little bit of joy. Because it's so authentic with you. When you're healthy, you're engaging in fun. You like to have fun. Now, sometimes in church, I, I think we sometimes, I think we think we're not supposed to have fun. You took that vacation. Maybe you went to Las Vegas for vacation and everybody was asking you, what'd you do? And, and you feel a little bit awkward about it. And so you say something like, oh, we, we spent a lot of time just praying for all the ungodly people. We just felt like we should prayer walk along the strip there. It's just kind of what we did. No, 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 no. You can have fun. You can enjoy life. I believe God created us to enjoy life. And as a seven, when you're functioning in a healthy way, you're engaging in fun. Why do we say things like, man, this, this dessert is so good. It just, it just tastes so good. It, it must be sinful. Why do we say things like that? Because we've been to church services and experienced some church people that aren't that good. And we almost in our mind think if it's fun and we're having a blast and we're actually enjoying ourselves, God must be unhappy with us. Because often when it's fun and we're having a blast and we're enjoying ourselves, highly religious people will be unhappy with us. But God is not. God wants us to enjoy life, and as sevens, you know how to do this. You engage in fun, desiring to make the world a more, a more joy-filled place. 
It's what you want to do. You, you want to experience joy. You want to embrace joy. But you also remember you reflect God's joy. And so you help people around you enjoy life more, enjoy the world more. You, you make the world a more joy-filled place. Your core need as a seven is to be free. To be free. Free to enjoy life. Free to embrace joy. And that's important to you. You don't want to be in a scenario where you're boxed into something where you, you can't experience joy. It's important to you to be free, to be able to express joy, reflect joy, help other people experience joy. It's just a core need of who you are. Now, when you're unhealthy, as a seven, pleasure dictates your life choices. You will run to pleasure and that will determine every decision you make. When you're unhealthy, is this fun or is this not fun? Do I want to go over there and do that because that's more fun? Do I want to go there and do that? Because all you're doing is you're chasing pleasure and it dictates all of your choices. So, when you've lived in the house and the newness has worn off, there's not as much pleasure. Maybe we need another house. When you've driven the car and it doesn't smell like a new car anymore, it's not as much pleasure. Maybe we need a new car. When you've been in the marriage and the feelings aren't like they were when you first started dating or in that, those first few months of marriage and that's begun to fade and you're chasing pleasure but you now live at the address of real life where sometimes there are arguments, sometimes there are discussions, sometimes in fact often in a marriage there are difficult decisions. There's, there's now a budget and responsibilities and you can become very good when you're unhealthy at running from that. You're in a certain career field, and the newness is worn off. Maybe the challenge is gone. Maybe it's not as fun as you thought it would be. And so you look around, and you see what you think would be pleasurable, and, man, I'm just going to do that. Pleasure, when you're functioning in an unhealthy way as a seven, pleasure dictates your life choices. Also, when you're unhealthy as a seven, you will pour yourself into escaping pain at all costs. No matter what, you want to avoid pain. So as a seven, when you're functioning in an unhealthy way, one of the ways you know is some of the difficult conversations you need to have maybe with your spouse or maybe with one of your kids or maybe with a close friend, you'll avoid that. You, you don't want any pain no matter what. I mean, David, think about who David was. One of his sons rapes his daughter and he does nothing about it. Nothing. His initial reaction is to just try to imagine or pretend it doesn't happen because he's trying to escape pain at all costs. He doesn't want to deal with the difficult things. And as a seven, if you're unhealthy, you'll function like that. And because of that, there will be things in the life, if you're a parent, in the lives of your kids that you'll ignore, you'll overlook, you don't want to deal with. It's an awkward conversation. It might be a difficult response. You, you don't want to have to bring consequences to some things in their lives that they've done to be able to teach them now. And the big deal to you, because as a seven, especially it's how you're wired, not just the joy thing, but when you're functioning in an unhealthy, unhealthy way, you're chasing pleasure and it's dictating all the decisions. What's pleasurable is you just want to be your kid's friend. Hey, parents, especially if you're a seven, but really all parents, your job is not to make your children like you. Your job is to raise them in a way that when they're adults, people will like them. And you can't do that if all you do is chase pleasure for you and for them. In unhealthy relationships, I'm sorry, in healthy, in healthy relationships, any healthy relationship, 
You have to talk about the difficult, the bad, and the painful things. And if you're a seven, one of the things that can cause damage to your marriage is if you you function in an unhealthy way and some of the difficult things that you need to address, some of the difficult things you need to talk about, some of the conversations you may need to have from time to time that are not fun, you avoid because you don't want to talk about difficult, bad, or painful things. But just because you don't talk about it doesn't mean they go away. If, If there's been a restructuring at the company and you now make less than you used to make, That is a conversation you have to have with your spouse. If you've been put on probation at work, that's a conversation you have to have. If there's an issue, you got a call from the teacher about one of your kids, that's a conversation you've got to have. In any healthy relationship, any healthy relationship, you have to talk about the difficult, the bad, and the painful things. And as a seven, That's always going to be a little bit more uncomfortable for you. But if you're functioning in a healthy way, you're able to do that because you understand the need and you understand we grow in uncomfortable places. When you're unhealthy as a seven, you can become impulsive. You just make random decisions. You you make decisions without all the facts. You just in a moment will change things in your friendships, in your life, with your surroundings. It's impulsive because you're chasing fun. As a seven, when you're unhealthy, you can be reckless. And if you've known sevens, if you know a seven, man, they can bring great joy to your life when they're healthy, but when they're unhealthy, you can watch people implode their lives and behave irresponsibly. irresponsibly. If you're a seven and you're unhealthy, you have the ability to do that. How many hearts have been broken in the name of happiness? I just, I just wanted to be happy. I just didn't feel happy anymore. So there's a spouse or there are kids that are just left to feel the effect and the ramification because in an unhealthy way you were chasing happiness. Now that, that's not isolated to just sevens. Sevens, when you're unhealthy, You're extremely prone to it. But we've got to recognize decisions matter and consequences are real. And as a seven, you like the playground. And the playground is fun. But you have to understand that all of life is not fully a playground. And while we can have fun in every day, decisions do matter. And consequences are very, very real. We have to deal with those. We have to live those. So the decisions that you make, they matter. The consequences are real. What's your core sin as a seven? (laughs) You're not going to like this. No number likes this, but as a seven, your core sin is gluttony. Gluttony. Now, it may be when it comes to food, because after all, think about it. As a seven, if you're functioning in an unhealthy way, you're chasing pleasure, and that dictates your choices. So if you go out to Epcot and you get one turkey leg, which is not really turkey, it's something else, it's like this big. If one's good, four are probably good. It's a drive in you, but it also lays over into other areas of life. It's not just how you can eat, the course in gluttony. Um, if sex with one person is good, well, then sex with another person, and then another person, and another person, it doesn't matter. There should be no limit. Sex with whoever, whenever, however, must be good. And gluttony will drive all of your choices. If making this much money is good, then making this much money must be better, and making this much must be better. But, but what's interesting to me is, 
It's never enough. There's always got to be more because when you're driven by gluttony, you're never really satisfied about anything in life. Your appetite is never satisfied. There's always got to be more. The core fear is being deprived or trapped. Sevens, you have FOMO, fear of missing out. And so your core fear is being deprived of something you could experience or feeling trapped in only what you are experiencing. And this creates sometimes some stress in your life because you're in this relationship, but what if you were in that relationship? Are you missing out on something? But if you go to that relationship, are you going to miss out on on what was in that relationship? If, If we're living in this house and we buy that house, Man, it seems like it's going to be great, but I wonder, are there things, we've, we've built some memories here, and are, are there some things we're going to miss out on, and this payment's a little bit lower, and, and you can live very conflicted because you're missing out no matter what your address is. You're missing out no matter who you're with because there might be somebody else. You're missing out no matter where you live, where you work, how you're functioning in life. You're terrified of being deprived, so you spend your life always running and always chasing if you're functioning in an unhealthy way never arriving at experiencing everything, always fully aware that you're probably missing out of something else, and that becomes your focus. For yourself, a verse that might be helpful is Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. The Apostle Paul, think about this. The Apostle Paul said, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. This is an intentional process. This doesn't just accidentally happen. So sevens, notice what Paul says. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I'm not going to spend my life running to the next thing. I'm not going to chase the next thing. I'm going to be content with who God has me with, where God has me, how God has me. I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Sevens, what if? God has you in the friendships, in the sphere of relationships, exactly where he wants you. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I've learned the secret of being content. Sevens, have you, have you learned that secret? Because there may be a whole lot of joy that you can still bring in the relationships that you're in in the neighborhood where you live, where God has planted you. And you can become so focused on running to what's next because maybe where you've been has been somewhat painful that you miss the opportunity God has for you. Paul, I've learned to be content. See, I think for seven, sometimes we think that doing the right thing comes riding into our lives on a feeling. Doing the right thing is not going to be a feeling you have one day. Doing the right thing is a state of mind focused on God's truth and acting on it. Doing the right thing is not chasing, okay, I'll know when it's right. I'll feel when it's right. No, 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 no. Doing the right thing is a state of mind focused on God's truth and acting on it. And sevens, I think it's important to remember what robs the joy of what you have is consistently looking at what you don't have. Now, if you're not a seven, this is true of all of us. What robs the joy of what you have is, consist, is constantly looking at what you don't have. So think about the words of Paul. Practice contentment by learning to reflect and thank God for what he's done. 
How would your mindset and attitude change if you begin to thank God for your spouse every day? If you begin to thank God for, for the stage of life your kids are in every day? I, I can tell you this, as a father of four, grandfather of four, Every single stage of life with children is amazing, and every single stage of life with children is challenging. But often we get so focused on the challenges, and we want to run to the next stage that's fun. But in those challenges, we teach our kids how to wrestle with challenge. So let's practice contentment by learning to reflect and thank God for what he has done. Think of Galatians chapter 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Seven. You're seven. Would you say you have a life where you're living in self-control? Because remember the core sin of gluttony. The tendency for a seven will be to be so emotionally driven that you're out of control. Chasing pleasure, letting it define your choices and determine the decisions that you make. But are you bringing self-control to your life? Psalm 16 says, You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Sevens, think about who God is and how much he loves you. And think about this verse. God, you, you will show me the way of life. God's got your life, and he's planned it far better than you and I ever could. Granting me the joy of your presence. That's the greatest joy of all. You walk through and live through every single day with the presence of God in your life if you're a Christ follower. And the pleasure of living with you forever. When this life is over and the next life, if you're a Christ follower, you're going to live with God forever. And he's a God who put inside you the craving and the desire and the ability to have fun. And he knows how to do it better than anybody. When it comes to others, sevens, think about 1 Samuel 20. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his vow of friendship again. For Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. Jonathan was like, David, I, I know you're a seven. And if you're unhealthy, you can chase, you, you can let pleasures dictate your decisions and you can run from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. I, I need you to notice this, reaffirm the vow of friendship again. He'd done it before, but he knew David. David, I, I need to know that, man, we're tight. We're friends. You're locked and loaded on this relationship. Now, let me tell you, if you're married to a seven, if you have a child or a parent that's a seven, sibling that's a seven, close friends, how do you love a seven? First of all, give them lots of room to play. Let it be okay in your home, in your life, in the relationship to have fun. Allow them sevens. Listen, the ability to have fun that God has given them, the ability to reflect his joy also brings a whole lot often of creativity. Let them express that. Let them enjoy that. Also, how do you love a seven? Recognize when they choose to deal with problems. Recognize that. Applaud that and affirm that. Because in the life of a seven, dealing with problems is the last thing they want to do. In fact, often it's terrifying. It it can be almost debilitating emotionally to to wrap their mind around having that conversation, to step up and say those things. And so when they're dealing with problems, if you're married to a seven, when they're in it with you and they're discussing, hey, here's a problem we're having with with one of our kids or with a decision we have to make or where we are, if they're in that, talking through that, engaged in that, man, recognize that, hey, I want you to know I appreciate the fact. I, I, I recognize how hard this must be, the way you're wired, to walk through this with me like this. I mean, I want you to know I feel how much you love me because you're doing that, and I'm grateful. Another way to love a seven, share how much joy they bring to your life. 
if you, if you ever catch yourself thinking, man, my, my spouse or maybe one of your kids or a close friend, and there are seven, they bring so much joy to my life. If you ever catch yourself thinking that, if you think it, say it. I wonder what the world would look like, what your marriage, your family, my marriage, my family, what our friendships would look like if we actually authentically, genuinely, genuinely felt thanked people for who they are in our lives and for what they bring to our lives. And so share how much joy they bring to your life. You know, you have an ability. There are days I walk into this office and just who you are, man, you, you just make it lighter. You have an ability when I'm wrestling with things to make me laugh about something. You just bring a lot of joy. Let them know that. And, and then the last way to love a seven, join in the fun. Now, for some of you, depending on what your number is, this is going to be challenging, but dive in because God has gifted you with putting a seven in your life and join in the fun because they don't want to have fun by themselves. They will if they have to, but ultimately a seven reflects God's joy. They, they enjoy life. They enjoy experiencing and living in joy, but what they love is for you to enjoy it too, for me to enjoy it too. And so join in the fun. If you're a seven, here's the prayer for a seven. God, help me to run to you and not from pain or toward all pleasure. Help me develop deep and lasting friendships with people who want to have fun, but that can keep me grounded. Help me to have the tough conversations real life requires and remind me to be thankful for what you've done. A sevens, God has given you a beautiful gift. And when you're functioning in a healthy way, you are world changers and you help all of us enjoy life, enjoy who God is, and enjoy the day-to-day so much more. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you for every single person in this room. I thank you for the sevens, and I pray that as they evaluate the things we've talked about, that this week they would, they would apply what we've talked through. I pray for those that, are, that, that have sevens in our lives that we love, that, that you would help us to know how to love them better and to to apply the things we've talked about. Father, I pray in this moment for every person in this room who may not know you, that today they would commit their lives to you because of how much you loved us. You're our creator, you're our designer, and you've created an incredible life for us. You know best how to live life and how to get the most joy out of it. So I pray today for those that may not know you that they would commit their lives to you with heads bowed and eyes closed. Maybe you're here And you know that your next step, what you need to do in your life is to commit your life to Christ. I want to encourage you to pray a very simple prayer. You can pray it out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. But if you'd like to commit your life to Christ today, the God who created you, the God who wants you to enjoy life, and the God who wants you to experience joy even in painful seasons, if you'd like to commit your life to him today, just pray this prayer. Just say, dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sin." And help me to live for you. Thank you for loving me. As best I know how, I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. 